Good morning, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. It's February 7th, Tuesday, 2023. Welcome. we got Pat Rickards here from the Driving Force Institute, one of our Equity Award winners. And Pat's been here with us anytime. He's going to tell us about all the wonderful things they're doing. And I'll tell you the things they're doing. They're now reaching, what's the number? I think it's 43 million people, educators trying to make provocative, good history lessons for everybody. They're working with so many people. It's just great. So we're going to be talking about it for a long time today with Pat. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. That's our home website of the American Consortium for Equity in Education. Okay, and if you go over there, you see the new issue of our magazine, which honors all the Equity Award winners, including Driving Force Institute. It's a good issue. It's a terrific issue. All right, and we hope that you go over there, subscribe for free. Everything we do is for for free for you. We hope you join with us in our consortium. Again, all the information is at ace-ed.org, where we're going to archive this podcast, plus information on social-emotional learning and teacher retention. And without further ado, let me bring on the one and only. Here he comes. It's spinning. It's spin. There he goes. Hi, Pat. Pat Rickards. It's Larry here. Oh. <laughs> Happy Tuesday. How are you, Larry? I'm fine, buddy. I can barely. Are you talking into your phone? I'm having trouble hearing you. I am. Maybe it's me. I don't know what's going on. Whatever. <laughs> but talk loud. I'll be able to hear you. Congratulations, my friend. You deserve that equity award. Thank you. Know, I appreciate you all doing these awards. I think it's, it's important. We talk so much about DEI and education, but I think that yeah. often we don't know what it's supposed to look like. And so these awards, particularly the, the honors that you've given to educators across the country, are yeah. just so meaningful. Nice. It's nice. And uh, I, I hope a lot of people look at, learn what we did this year and apply and all that so we can look at it. And, and Pat, you have to know this because we're old friends doing this show together. Okay. I had nothing to do with anybody who won the award. They, they knew that if I knew you were running, I'd put the two cents in. So they kept me completely out of the judging. Okay. <laughs> understood. Understood. Good move on their part is all I can tell you. All right, what can I say? Tell us, tell us about the Driving Force Institute. I, I got your email the other day, okay, and I'm going to talk about that in great detail. All right, but then tell us about the Driving Force Institute as the CEO and president and founder and all that sort of thing. Sure. Now, so the Driving Force Institute was created because we believed that we needed to do a better job when it comes to the teaching and learning of American history. Uh, that if you look at the numbers, you look at uh, you know, how well individuals can perform on various tests, we just don't know the basics. Uh, and as we dug deeper into it, as we talked with teachers, as we talked with students across the country, they really felt that the issue was the way that American history is taught, particularly the textbooks that we use in our classrooms. They're, they're both boring and irrelevant to today's students. Uh, and I think it's, it's why it's so apropos to today's topic. I mean, so much of what you learn is focused on essentially what, what I would say is the dead white male landowner. Uh, that's the frame by which we see so much of that American history. Um, it's and, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you, you, yeah, you look not, at students today. Would you describe it like that? It cracks me up. To. Ryan. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. the history of the dead white male landowner. To. Yeah. <laughs> American History 101. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Make me laugh. No, no, no. And so so what we did was, you know, we looked at it, and you you look at today's students, you look at how this is even pre-COVID, you look at how they spend their time, you're spending your time online, you're spending your time scrolling through YouTube and TikTok. 
And so what we set out to do was begin to create a series of short-form provocative videos about moments in history that most students haven't learned yet. Uh, each one's about two minutes long. Each one is animated. Uh, and uh, you know, that, was, that was where we started off. And so today we now have more than 500 videos in our library. It's amazing. Uh, on a lot of, a lot of topics that, uh, that students aren't going to hear about. And I think in particular, you look at something, Larry, like this month. You, know, you look at Black History Month. Yeah. And in many schools across the country, Black History Month is still taught like it was when I went to school in, in the days of the wagon and, and, the, and the buggy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In, in that you, you teach Black History Month by teaching Martin Luther King in the I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. And maybe you might have a little bit of time to talk about Frederick Douglass and the Civil War. And that's how you look at Black History Month. Um, it's not how we look at Black History Month. Yes, you can find all sorts of things about Martin Luther King. We're, we're creating video content for states to align with their state standards. We just finished a video on what Martin Luther King Day is. So it's there. Um, but, you know, I, I'm grateful because Share My Lesson, the great platform that American Federation of Teachers has, you know, they recently did a piece on some of the content that Untold History, which is our initiative, provides with regard to Black History Month. And, you know, I don't think there are a lot of kids that before they would stumble across our video are learning about Marie Van Britten Brown, who actually created CCTV, security systems in New York City, before wow. anybody else did. Wow. Um, I don't think there's still, you know, despite the fact that we all should know the stories, I don't think there's a lot in terms of the Negro League in baseball and how they were able to shatter segregation. Um, but, yeah, there's not that, a lot about okay. – Yeah, that's one of my favorite things is that, that – but I think, yeah. I, I think, I think that's standard, the, the Negro Leagues. I mean, what we lost there was unbelievable, okay? So many people didn't yeah. see the great ones because of, right? Yep. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you, know, you, you learn about individual like Elizabeth Freeman, uh, who was just an absolutely yeah, you know I got to stop you, Pat, because I, I got to stop you because even when I say the term <laughs> Negro Leagues, it's hard to mm -hmm. believe that that ever even was a thing. That we had a league for white people and a league for Negroes. It's it's hard to put that into perspective. It's hard to even think that that could could be. It's it to me, and I'll just go down to the, to the big Kahuna there, which is slavery. If you think about it, it's hard to believe that in this country ever there was slavery. Slavery. Think about that. It's only a hundred and what, hundred and fifty years ago, Max? What is it? Hundred and forty years ago? Something like that? Exactly. It's unbelievable. Exactly. It's two lifetimes. Uh, it's two lifetimes. Okay? Mm -hmm. Yep. And, 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 you know, when you say those things, we, we tend to say them. But we don't really think of the implication of saying them. They become complete Negro League slavery. They're cliche terms almost. Okay? And that's why we've got to constantly be reminded what they really mean. All right? Yes. And it's just amazing. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. It just struck me no, when you no, said no. it. No, I, I, I no. I think you're absolutely right, Larry. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, I, 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 am, I am a diehard baseball fan. Always have been. Always will be. I thank my father for that. And, you know, I've been to Cooperstown. I've seen, I've seen yeah. the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's an incredible shrine to the sport. But I've also been in Kansas City to see the Negro League Hall of Fame. Yeah, I've never been to, um, which, I've been to Kansas City and never went to that Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, wow. it was just incredible to see because it is, you know, 
even, even for somebody like me who just, you know, as a kid would constantly study that, you don't learn a lot of that stuff. Yes, you learn about Jackie Robinson, but that's about yeah. it. I mean, you Maybe. barely know that Larry Doby did the same thing in the American League. That's right, Cleveland Indians. Wasn't it the Indians? Wasn't it the Indians? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was then. It's now the Guardians. <laughs> We're just gonna, I'm just going to say even that's changed. Okay, it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, and it's all good that it's changing. Change is good. Change is good. Okay, so change is good, Larry. But change is only good if we're willing to still acknowledge that our history is complex and dark and confusing and at times ugly. Don't talk to me. Talk to Ron DeSantis. Don't talk to me. Talk to him. And, right. and, uh, I, it, it becomes very easy, I think, for folks to bash Governor DeSantis. I have to I say, would, I know you're working with the Florida State Department. So, yes, I know. I know. And that's good. I was going to say, though. And that's good. And I don't mean to bash important. it. It just struck me funny. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm well, over-talking you. Say, what, what becomes, no, no, no. Not at all. It's your show. You can do what you want. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I think people guess, need you do to really want. look at this. Yeah, we need to look at the standards. I need to look at what Florida has put in place with regard to its social studies and its governance standards in particular. The fact that Florida enacted uh, Holocaust education, where now every Florida K-12 student is going to have to learn about the Holocaust before they graduate. I think it, it becomes very easy to bash on a particular issue, and I know a lot of people have latched on to uh, the AP African American history piece. <clears throat> and... You know, I, it's one of those. I, I've seen people argue that, oh, you know, AP was, you know, College Board was already changing all of the things that Governor DeSantis went after. Uh, and I will say, as a former communications pro, you know, the College Board took a beating for almost a month over DeSantis and others' criticism of some of the content in that course. If they were changing it all along, they should have said something then. That's because right. Now it looks like nothing. I'm not nothing on their side. Than a, a win. It's it's a DeSantis win at this point. Yeah, yeah, and also I have to say, Governor Sanders of uh, Huckabee Sanders of uh, Arkansas. First thing she did in government was well, my standing joke is she she decided that she banned the critical race theory in Arkansas public schools, which didn't even exist. Okay, and I, she mm-hmm. also banned that you, you you can't bring your T Rex to lunch. It has to be left in the parking lot yeah. to run the store tracks. So yeah, very much. But at very, the same time, yeah. Larry. You know, we're yes. sitting here talking about DEI today, and yes. one of the other things is she she bans the use of the term Latinx, yes. which becomes incredibly important because this is one of those phrases that, you know, if, if you're a nice, woke, progressive, you've been using the term Latinx. Nobody bothers to check survey after survey after survey over the last five years where you're seeing upwards 80, 90% of Hispanic and Latino individuals don't like despise the term. that term. Yeah, don't like the term. You know, <laughs> go figure, go figure. Okay, but you don't need to ban. Society will do this stuff on its own. It will do it on its own. You know, it's that question. And you know, and, and I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with you there. You know, it's uh, it just strikes me as so ridiculous. Okay, we're we're, we're harping <laughs> on education. To li- we not we, but the world is harping. The U.S. is harping on education politically and that's not a great thing okay it is it's not, not a great, great thing, thing but we've yeah. talked we've talked for years and years and years larry about how wonderful it would be if at some point 
education were a major issue for for federal elections. Um, Now it looks like in 2024, we're going to get it. I mean, I realize that when most people say education, they were thinking it should be things like educational standards and such, although we didn't like it when, when George W. Bush was pushing it before No Child Left Behind became a thing. But when you look at it now, I mean, you, 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 know, you, you look over the last five or ten years when you've had teacher strikes, one of the things you hear again and again is we need, we need parents more involved in what's happening. That's what you typically heard from those picket lines. Well, now in states like Arkansas. <laughs> they're they're, they're, and, they're and finally concerned. States, yeah. Parents are concerned. <laughs> they're out there speaking. And it's, it's, it becomes really hard if you're saying we want parents involved, we want to hear their voice but only on the issues that we care about. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't get that. And so now we're going to have the social war, you know, social policy wars are going to be fought on education issues. Um, and in theory, it means parents are going to be more involved. That's a good thing. Yeah. That, you know, it's funny you brought up No Child Left Behind. Everybody argues with me on this. I'm not mad at the Bush administration for doing that. They didn't wake up in the morning. I always say this. They, 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 they didn't do it right, but they tried. Okay, they didn't wake up in the morning and said, let's destroy education. They did it with all good intentions. Okay, and I always kind of defend them in that way. This is George W. Bush administration. I always kind of defend them that way. They didn't do it right. But like you just said, it brought education to the forefront. It brought education to the forefront. You know, and 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 I I will be one of those. Yeah, I I will argue. I I think they did a lot of good. I think when you look at No Child Left Behind, if you look at what it did with regard to reading instruction and, you know, finally addressing the issues of what does the research say and what do we get in the classroom? When you look at issues like accountability and, and testing and understanding that students are actually learning what they're supposed to, all that is good. Like it is what, what is typical for us is we screwed up on the implementation. We, we, we certainly didn't. And they, did, they didn't use great research to do it. They, they made some mistakes in the process, but that's the way things are supposed to evolve, okay? Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, people come down on them, and I, I never come down on them for that. I just think they tried, okay? It did, didn't work as great as they wanted it to. They did want it to work. They did want it to work, okay? And they tried. No, I think it's, it's one of those funny things. Like, so my, my wife spent years working for Dick Riley in the Department of Ed before the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And you know, even now, and those who worked for Riley, I mean, he is still beloved. Uh, he, you, know, you look at everything they tried to do during his eight years in the Clinton administration. And you know, what you can say is they actually did less than the Bush administration did when it came to education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they had they had their own shortcomings too, including if you'll remember at one point trying to figure out if they could put national standards through. Uh, Agreed. But you learn. Yeah, and you know, you know, I, I have to get into this now. You know, when you were talking about Ron DeSantis a few minutes ago, what what he's saying, and he's not necess- I'm not saying he's right, but he's not necessarily wrong. But he's phrasing it all for political gain. Okay, and that's not the way to handle this. That's I guess that's my complaint. Okay, the <laughs> education and kids is not for political gain. It's to do the right thing for the kids. Okay, and you you can't just get mad at something. Okay, and decide that we don't want that anymore without really fully understanding it. Okay, and that's that's my feeling on all this. And it's not kids aren't political baseballs. That's all. There no. you go. 
Patty. I, I, That's I, what I think. I wish, I wish, Larry, that more people had your view on that. Yeah, because I, I think you too. are absolutely correct. And when we look at education and we look at education policy, the focus should be on the kids. You know, I think, unfortunately, for the last 25 years and probably even, even longer than that, we've seen so much of it instead is focused on the adults in the room. Yeah. We're not focused on things like teacher tenure and those sorts of things instead of on learning. You, know, you have people who I, I know that he never actually said it. But you have, you know, that, that old Al Shanker quote that's attributed to him that, you know, he'll, he'll prioritize the kids when they start voting in the AFT election. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it I is never, what it is. I never heard that and, one. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And so, you know, yeah. and you, you had, you know, the, this constant fight was, okay, who should be in charge? Well, it should be the educators. It should be the teachers union. They're the ones that should be deciding everything that's good and pure in our schools. Now we have parents saying, no, wait a minute, it should be us. We don't trust the teachers. We don't trust the education industrial complex to make these decisions. We want to be in control. Um, at some point, somebody needs to stand up and say, but what about the children? Yeah, uh, but, then nobody's uh, doing kids, that. Kids don't vote and kids don't give to a campaign. No, they do not. Although they did give a lot to UNICEF with the little milk carton things. Like, you could do that. <laughs> right. Remember that? Oh, I can't go. Larry, trick or treat. At a scab here. Trick or treat for UNICEF. It's, it's, it's one of those. I, I think you know a lot of people who know me know I am a very proud father. I'm the father of two children we adopted in Guatemala. And UNICEF is the reason why international adoptions in Guatemala are no longer allowed because they, oh, they provided the legislature like a, a $34 million bribe back in, in 2008 to end the practice. So even to this day, when why? kids show up on our doorstep on Halloween with a UNICEF box, my wife takes that moment to lecture the, the children and parents on why UNICEF is evil. Well, why did UNICEF do that now that you brought it up? UNICEF believed at the time that uh, international adoptions were robbing countries like Guatemala of their cultural oh. heritage. Oh, oh. That yeah. you had too many children adopted Ridiculous. out of country. Um, and did so without you know, realizing that at the time, as of 2008, there were no um, orphanages in Guatemala. It was a private system where when children were put up for adoption, they were, and when, when children were, were surrendered by their parents, they were just put up for adoption and would often live with foster families. So in a very quick period of time, you had to begin an entire welfare system to take care of kids because – even though you, you made it illegal to have international adoptions, that did not mean that single mothers were not continuing to drop babies off at hospitals because they right. could not afford to take care of them. Just, what can I tell you? There uh -huh. you go. Thank you. I mean, thank God for your kids. What can I say? <laughs> and yet, you know, well, that's been the same story all the time. And then, well, I hate to get into this now, but, yeah, we're robbing we're robbing the the country of its culture of its future kids, and then look at the lines at our border right now of people from Guatemala who want to get in here. Mm -hmm. no, no, nothing against Guatemala, yep. okay? Okay. No, but, you know it's if we can't adopt kids when they're babies. No, God forbid we do that, so to speak. And then look at all the kids. It's just it's, it's the people coming in there. It's just it's it's just amazing. Hey Pat, I want to get back to D, D, DFI Driving Force Institute for a second. Absolutely. How many people work there with you? 
How many people work there? We've got a team. We've got a team of about ten across the board. Uh, you know, we've got we've got a, a lot of a lot of partners that we work with in terms of producing the videos and those sorts of things. We're very fortunate. Uh, you know, we work with a terrific company called Makematic that's actually based out of Northern Ireland uh, that does all of our video production. Uh, we're incredibly fortunate to work with the folks at the Do Goodery uh, out in California. Uh, in terms of making sure every single video we produce is vetted by a classroom teacher and by subject matter experts. Uh, and the folks that do Goodery help us make sure that that's, that's the way it, it will always be done. Because, you know, when, when we first started this, Larry, I think you and I, I think I talked about this. The original yeah, dream was do we, it again. we were going to produce, I think the, the original dream when we first started all this is we were going to produce these provocative videos that students were going to watch in their free time and then they were going to tell all their friends about it. And you and I both know there are no students out there who are going to get excited and start sharing online on their social media platforms. Look at this really cool American history video I just watched. <laughs> so we had to You're pivot. Correct. We had to, we had to, you know, it, we, we had talked to teachers across the country who had been saying, look, we're hungry for real video content in our classrooms. You know, you have, you know, for the younger grades, you have things like Brain Pop. They do a great job, but their videos aren't sophisticated enough for our high schoolers. Right. Uh, you know, you have others that would say, I, I would spend my time going through a drunken history episode and edit out the liquor and edit out the language, <laughs> and hopefully I'd have something to use in class. And so that's why we decided, you know, the same things we were producing were things that we could provide to teachers. Um, you know, there were some of our early videos teachers won't touch because we talk about some very controversial topics. Um, but now, you know, we've really found this groove as we go through because, you know, we, we sit down every quarter and we make sure that we're producing videos across different time periods. You know, we make sure that we're producing different types of videos. We do videos about archive, you know, you know sort of the archives of items, you know, the artifacts that define who America is. We will do events. We will do people. Uh, you know, we will look at art to one of the streams that we have, you know, those sorts of things to make sure that we have that balance. Uh, but it's really about you know, finding content that teachers can use to start discussions in their classroom. Who originates the content? At the end of every video. I'm sorry? Who originates the content? Who comes up with the idea for Video X. <laughs> it, it not, not an X-rated video. Video X. Yes. Yeah. No, no. It, it is very much a team effort uh, in that you know we will sit there, we will come up with title stories that we wish we were be, we, we had heard when we were kids. Uh, we work with a lot of content partners. We work with groups like uh, New York Historical Society, like iCivics, like American mm -hmm. Battlefield Trust, like the Smithsonian, and they will come to us like the White House Historical Association. Item. Yeah, like the White I, House fact, Historical Association. I just, Association. Finished, just yeah. finished the final cut yesterday on a White House Historical Association video on what White House valets were and why they were so important. Wow. Um, which, you know, when you look, you look at that, because for so much of our history, the White House valets were slaves. And they were entrusted with the secrets of our presidents. Um, you know, we're launching some new video, some new series, as Larry, which I think you're going to like, including we just started producing a new series that we're doing with the International Spy Museum on the role <laughs> of spies that? in American Where is the history. Spy Museum. Spy Where is it? Museum is in Washington D.C. Okay. Wow. Uh, it is an incredible facility for those people who have not been. 
Um, but we're going to now be telling some, you know, beyond the basics, beyond the, you know, the, the Benedict Arnolds and the, and the Rosenbergs, we're going to have a full series on some of the spies that made America what America is. Well, right. Good enough. And you got the American Philosophical Society. you got the Bill of Rights Institute you're working with. Okay. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable how you put all this together. And then I just want to – let me find it here. I just want to make the – oh, here it is. Okay. You are also working with – okay. I, I just want to say this because teachers are familiar with all of this. Click View, Learn 360, Scholastic, Nucella. Nearpod, Rakuten, and where my wife works, PBS Learning Media. Okay? And 43 million viewers, more than 90%. You're reaching more than 43 million viewers, more than 90% of public school districts in the United States, and 45,000 libraries globally. Everybody, this is Pat Rickards who put all this together, buddy. You did. Think about that. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I understand. We, we have a tremendous team, and I think one of, one of the reasons why do. those partnerships are, are so important is, you know, you, you see a lot of times in, in different areas in K-12, you have people that say they've created the best content the classroom could ever demand. But if you can't get it into the classroom, does it really matter? Um, you know, I, I look back to my reading days when I used to fight the reading wars, and you had some of these programs that – by definition, were the absolute best when it came to scientifically-based reading. But they're not in a lot of classrooms. And so that's why, you know, those partnerships, you know, it's one of those things. It's very easy for everybody to create content, throw it up on YouTube, and say, hey, it's here. Everybody can use it. Um, anybody who's been in the K-12 school knows that the majority of them are actually not going to let you access YouTube from the classroom because they can't get through the firewall. And thank goodness we didn't do it on TikTok because we're not going to get it anywhere there. <laughs> Uh, and so we, we, work, we, we started working with these distribution partners to make sure that all of our content can get into the classroom. It can get into the hands of the teachers who need it. Uh, and so that's what we've done. It's good stuff. And how is this all supported, Pat? Because uh, it's all free for educators. Fortunate. Yes, we are very fortunate to receive philanthropic support. We have some some donors who believe in what we are doing, individuals. We're not getting the money from institutions. We have individuals who believe in what we are doing, uh, and they are, are making all of this possible. You know, the partners that we've mentioned that we work with, they also bring resources to the table uh, to help with, with all of this production. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's really, really an effort to make sure we're getting the best content possible into the hands of those who need it. You really something. And what is this Walter W. Buckley Jr. Prize that I read about yesterday? I'll tell people what it is. It's a $50,000 award honoring a leader of, I guess, of education, you tell me, who has demonstrated an understanding of the importance of American history, steps to ensure that it is taught effectively. Okay? So is, is that going to be an educator? Is that, what, what's, talk about that, the Buckley Prize. Sure. So this is very exciting. And this is actually the first it place is. we're discussing it public, rather. So you, 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 oh, you're well. getting the scoop here. Um, so, you know, Walter you. Is, is, a dear, is a dear friend. Uh, you know, I, you know, Walter is, is an, an incredible human being. And uh, you know, nice. he has spent, you know, he, he is a businessman by trade, but has spent his, his life uh, really focusing on how we can improve American history learning. 
Uh, I knew him first from when I was at the Woodrow Wilson Foundation. He was on the board there. He was the chair there. Uh, he also was a longtime board member at American Battlefield Trust. Uh, and, you know, this, this is his life's passion. Uh, you know, you wow. look at, you know, he, he can be, if you ever, you ever talk to him, you know, he'll, he'll talk to you about, you know, his time at Cornell. He doesn't talk about the business classes uh, that he took that made him a very, very <laughs> successful man. He talks about the history classes that he took. Uh, and so this award was created in, in his honor. Uh, you know, he, he spent a lifetime focusing on this, and we wanted to thank him for that. And wow. so when you ask about who, who receives this, this is really recognizing, you know, those individuals that, uh, that see the importance of teaching history and will do anything necessary to make sure that it is taught correctly. Uh, and so for this inaugural prize, we're going to select one winner. Uh, we're going to announce it, uh, I believe, on July 4th of this year. Uh, and it's open. It's open. Originally, we were conceiving that this is the sort of prize that you could award to an educator. This is the sort of prize you could award, uh, you know, to a a business leader. This is a, an award you could award, you could provide to an elected official or or you know, somebody who works in government. Um, my my sense is that this year the the first prize will probably go to an educator. Uh, and think that is that is very important. You have a lot of, of folks, and an educator obviously has, has different meanings to different folks. Right. Uh, but I think you have a lot of people who have put in an incredible amount of time and effort uh, into making sure with everything that is going on today uh, that we're not losing sight of how important it is to teach and learn American history. You know, so we are very excited about that. Well, we've lost track of that. We have to do that. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. When, okay. and, and, you know, when you put a $50,000 gift behind it, it shows you how serious we are about, about this. And this, this is something that we are going to be doing annually. This is not a one-time thing. Well, like I just got to say from your description of Mr. Walter W. Buckley, the, the prize winner of the Walter W. Buckley Jr. Prize should be Walter W. Buckley Jr. Buckley Jr. Because <laughs> he is what a good guy. Jeez. He's really done a lot to make it happen. He, he, he would be a wonderful honoree. Or he would have been be a wonderful perfect. honoree if they were still offering the McGraw prizes. Uh, I, I can tell you that you know, he is. He, he would he would tell you he is not worthy, despite all of his contributions. He believes there are others that are doing far more, and so uh, you know, being able to create a, a prize like this in his honor. Uh, is is the best way I can speak to thank him. I think it's wonderful. I, I think it's just wonderful. And, you know, I read something on that thing you sent me yesterday, and I, 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 you have to talk to me about this. DFI, Driving Force Institute, is named in honor of Teddy Roosevelt. And I do not yeah. understand that phrase, that sentence. Why? What's the two things have to do with each other? DFI and Teddy Roosevelt. So, the phrase driving force was a phrase that was once used to describe Teddy when he was president. Ah. Uh, and it was a phrase that he then latched on to. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, for anybody who has started a nonprofit, you go through all of the, the agonizing processes of trying to figure out what, what do you name it? What's going to be something unique? What's going to be something that nobody, nobody has done before. Uh, and you know, because it, as we were as we were trying to figure out a name for this, you know, I, I of course was starting to look at history, was looking at names that would, uh, you know, involve you know Teddy Roosevelt being one of my favorite presidents, looking at names that would reflect Thomas Jefferson as I'm a graduate of the University of Virginia and all of those sorts <laughs> of things. And 
driving force just fit in so many ways because, as I said, it was both an homage to to Teddy, but also was a a perfect descriptor of what we were seeking to achieve when we launched this two and a half years ago. Excellent. How how many years ago? Two and a half. Two and a half years. Yep. Two and a half years. You're now reaching. Let me get this straight. Hold, Hold on. Hold on. You're now reaching, let me get the numbers right, 43 million viewers, and you launched it two and a half years ago? Yes. Yes. Those that that seem to know what they're talking about believe we are now one of the largest distributors of educational content about American history in the United States. I did not realize it was so young. It's a baby. Mm -hmm. It is. Wow. Well, I, it, I'm going to. I, I can say, I nominate I, I, you I, I, for the Walter I, I, W. Buckley Jr. Prize? I, I need to give credit where credit is due. In that, um, when I was at the Woodrow Wilson Foundation, uh, when Arthur Levine was president there, uh, we began to incubate this work. Uh, you know, our, Arthur and I both saw that there was a need to address the shortage of American history learning in this country, and we, we were exploring a lot. Uh, And so after Arthur retired, uh, there was the opportunity to take the the intellectual property that I had created at Woodrow and and use that to start driving force institutes. So when we started two years ago, we weren't starting with a blank slate. Uh, We had started, we had a number of artifacts and and a number of pieces, but the, the work began in earnest about two and a half years ago. Congratulations, Ben. You should be so proud of yourself, I got to tell you. Thank you me. really should be. That's just it's just incredible. You've done it. You did it. You're doing a great job, man. Okay, and I'm our our equity award. I'm I'm so I'm so glad that you won it. I'm just I'm just thrilled about that. I really am. And, and I appreciate. And as I say, it's one of those things. You know, as part of this work, when you talk about the untold history, you know, there's a lot that you can say that we don't teach in textbooks because there's only so much you can teach in a textbook. Oh. But we've really made an effort when you, when you talk about DEI is making sure that as we are telling these stories for American history, how do we make sure that we are telling stories that reflect the role that women played in our history, the role that African-Americans played in our history, the role that the LGBTQ community played, the role that Latinos played? Those are stories that we don't get enough of. And when we talk about relevancy to students, those are the stories that they're hungry for. And so that's it only makes sense if you if you want to make sure that our students are learning the full history, there has to be a DEI lens on it. I would, one would hope, and, and that reminds me. There was one more question I wanted to ask you, and I'm, I'm glad I thought of this. Okay, one of the things that always worries me is what we call, and this, this TV show Abbott Elementary talks about this quote: under-resourced schools. Okay, and that's that's the phrase we all know that. But mm-hmm. yet, and you work obviously with PBS Learning Media, like where my wife works, and there's so many other places like that. Okay, you're the DFI. It's free. Are you are you satisfied with the way it's making its way into quote the? I always say there there doesn't have to be an under resourced school with all this free stuff out there. Okay, right. and I'm just curious as you go through this, are we getting enough? Uh, inroads into those schools with all this mm-hmm. with all the things that are free for schools yeah. how do you feel with I, I think that, that's, yeah i think that's an excellent question and it's why you know when you look at some of the work we're doing in states you know you look at what we're doing in in florida you look at what we've done in in, in kentucky you look at what we're doing in places like north carolina and those sorts of things 
Uh, you know, so much of that is you implement new standards, and it can take the textbook companies years to catch up. Yes, it can. So, you know, with the videos we produce, we're, we're able to, you know, within a year, we're able to give you content that matches those standards. But I think to your point, more importantly, everything we produce is free. I mean, yes, exactly. the school district needs to have a ClickView account. Um, and but yeah, as 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 we've noted, you know, we're working now with more than 90% of school districts because they already subscribe to these. And quite frankly, if you're a school district that doesn't subscribe to them, um, then you can access this on our website. You can access this for free on YouTube. It's all out there uh, yeah. because I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, this this is we're, we 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 never set out to replace textbooks. This is intended to supplement what happens in those textbooks. But we're finding they, they are a tremendous opportunity to start those discussions to have students, no matter what background they come from, begin to think like historians, ask questions, try to understand what else did they not learn exactly. that's similar to this. That's exactly. Goal. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I'll just say it again. Another company is isit.org. I mean, we, is it.org. I mean, we have got to. Get the, the information is there, and I just hope teachers take advantage of it. And what you've done, Pat, okay, I just hope you put your head on the pillow and sleep well at night. You've done a great job, man. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you. Well, I mean, I mean it. It's sincere. Okay. So, Pat Rickards, Driving Force Institute, untoldhistory.org, everybody. It's unbelievable. Okay. Pat, thank you. This was great, as always. Thank you. And congrats, appreciate it all. congrats on your equity award. Thank you. No, I, I, I'm so proud that we've earned it. So are our partners. They're glad to be part of all this. Yeah, you're, you're number one, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay? You take care. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Larry. Bye. Okay. Pat Rickards, everybody. Driving Force Institute. Untoldhistory.org. Wow. Amazing. He's, he's unbelievable. All right. We're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org. See everything we do over there. I'm Larry Jacobs. Hey, thanks for listening. 